I could listen to that all over again, couldn't you? Absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we come to a time of communion, reading to you from the letter of 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter. You know that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. If you were here last Sunday, that's what we looked at. The lamb, the lamb who is worthy, without spot, without defect, without blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. We celebrate communion throughout the year, but it's this particular time, isn't it? It has a special significance as we think about the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ who took the cup and said, or took the bread, sorry, and said, this is my body given for you. So take, take the wafer, eat, and think of the Lord Jesus. Jesus took the cup and said, this is the new covenant established in my blood. Let us drink together and think of all that Jesus means to us. Father, what a saviour we have. Lamb of God, tested and found to be proved and worthy. Worthy, Lord, for salvation. Oh, Lord, we, we come humbly toward, uh, to you this morning, Lord. Our hearts are humbled before you. You are the great, you are the mighty, you are the awesome, you are the transcendent, but also the imminent God who has blessed us with the Lord Jesus Christ through him we might have the forgiveness of sin. We might stand holy in your presence today, Lord. No guilt, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What if your children, Lord, blessed by you, 
Eagerly, Lord, you have many blessings, Lord, in store for us in the days that are ahead. We cannot count them. They are beyond, Lord, number. They are beyond our wildest thinking or imagination, Lord, of all that you have for us. What a blessed people we are. Lord, on this particular day, Father, we say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your gift of him to us. Thank you that his spirit lives inside of us. Thank you that we are a changed people, Lord. We will never be the same as once we were. We now belong into your kingdom, Lord, a secure kingdom, a strong kingdom, Lord, that fights against all evil and wins it every time. You are victorious, Lord, and we are yours. All we can do is just say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Pray to you, sing our praises to you, offer our lives to you afresh. In your son's precious name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Adding to the welcomes that have already gone before, you are welcome in this place. We're taking a little bit of, of a pause in the book of Ruth. We've done two sessions. We've got two to go. So we'll pick that up in two weeks' time. But obviously for Easter, we need to uh, take this moment out to remember especially this occasion. So if you'd like to join us again in two weeks' time, I think we'll be back in A1. And we'll be looking at Ruth chapter 3. Someone who said to me uh, last week, I hadn't heard this. I'd heard a lot of jokes about the Bible, but this, didn't know this one. Do you know, Neil, before Boaz met Ruth, he was ruthless. Oh, never heard that one before. Never heard that one before. So join us in two weeks' time for Ruth chapter 3. I'm looking forward to it. So many people being encouraged by the book of Ruth, as I am as well. So thank you for that. Anyway, this morning, oh, by the way, did you get your Inspire bookmark? Oh, how good do these look, thanks to Alec and Alex. I got a bit confused when I first came on staff here just a few weeks ago because people were saying Alec and Alex and they were calling him and her and I got, thought they were one person. And Alex, have you seen Alex? He's going, and I'm thinking, I'm sure she's a she. I'm sure, I'm sure. Anyway, and then I realised somebody said, no, they're two different people. Oh, okay, all right, that's okay. So pick up a bookmark. Absolutely. Uh, the T-shirts and the coffee cups and all those will be coming later. I've just got talked to Nathan about them. But uh, there's a lot more to come. This is just the beginning. Here you'll be starting to think, oh, why do we put Neil on? He spends all our money. Matthew chapter 6, we're looking at this morning. Matthew chapter 6, 26, uh, which is a follow-on from last Sunday. So if you were here last Sunday, you see I... Uh, talked about the testing of Jesus and Matthew 26, 57 to 75 this morning. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, in whose house the scribes and the elders had gathered. But Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards in order to see how this would end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. 
at last two came forward and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But Jesus was silent. Then the high priest said to him, I put you under oath before the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? They answered, He deserves death. And then they spat in his face and struck him and slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Messiah, who is it that struck you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before all of them, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. When he went out to the porch, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are also one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to curse, and he swore an oath. I do not know the man. At that moment, the cock crowed. Then Peter remembered what Jesus had said. Before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Australians value treating people fairly and treating people justly, whether that is refugees, asylum seekers, immigrants, The marginalised, we say that every person needs to be treated fairly. Similarly, we don't like it when people are treated over and above what we think they should be treated with. People have all got to be treated the same, whether they're footballers or music stars or tennis players. They've all got to obey by the rules, don't they? I'm sure that You and I, well, we both experienced injustices at some point in our life. Things haven't gone on fairly for us. And perhaps we've complained or perhaps we've just put up with it in the process. I had a meeting with some people in Mackay to talk about ministry opportunities there. And then I had to go up to Townsville and talk of, Rob talked with Rod Bullput there about some uh, accreditation things. And so I decided, well, from Mackay to Townsville, the best thing is to hire a car. So I hired a car, spent just two or three days in Mackay and then went up to Townsville. I think I spent about three or four days staying with Rod uh, Bullput there and uh, got all my work done in about a week took the hire car back to the airport, it was all happy, all great, everything's been done, this is all good, went to the desk there, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning, I remember, dropped the keys in the little hole because there was nobody at the desk. 
that nobody was looking after the desk, dropped the keys in, and then opened up the documentation. Oh, I needed to record the odometer from the car from when I finished. But the keys are down in that hole, and I can't get them. What am I going to do when my flight is going to leave soon? Well, I just thought, well, they'll do the right thing, won't they? They'll be honest and fair with me. About three weeks later, the accounts manager, and I'm glad she said this. She said, Neil, I got the bill from the hire company, and gee, it's a lot of money just for a car for a week. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, as we looked through the invoice there, she said, well, it says here that you travelled 3,000 kilometres. I said, 3,000 kilometres in a week? What did they expect that I was doing, just driving this car everywhere? So, of course, rang them up. I can tell you, I can get a stat, uh, you know, declaration of the people that I stayed with, both in Mackay and Townsville. They just made that one trip and that was it. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's our error, it's our error. We'll reduce the fee right way down to just much less than what it was. And I thought, I was glad the accounts manager picked it up. She hadn't. She just paid the bill, right? That would have been unfair. When we come to this portion of scripture, we see that there's everything that is unfair about the trial of Jesus in front of Caiaphas. In fact, everything that is illegal. Apart from Jesus, in this passage, there are two main characters, and yet you can't find two main characters who are different from each other. You've got Caiaphas, who is the president of the Sanhedrin, who's a great religious leader, who many people would look up to. You are our you know, religious person that we need to gain for spiritual wisdom from. And then you have Peter, disciple, Simple fisherman, no influence really over the people at large, very much at all. Like every organisation, the Sanhedrin formed rules and regulations about how trials were to be conducted. And the trial in this passage broke their own laws. Many things, as we'll see this morning, were illegal and the trial should not have gone ahead. Straight away, the setting for this passage is illegal. It's said that they'd met in the court of the high priest, yet the Sanhedrin had determined themselves that trials could only be conducted in the hall of judgment in the inner court. The Sanhedrin consisted of 71 members, 24 seats allocated to chief priests who were Sadducees. 24 seats to the elders, who were Pharisees. 22 seats to the scribes, who were also Pharisees. And then the guy at the top, the big kahuha, the high priest, he was also a Sadducee. So the Pharisees outnumbered the Sadducees. But in a case, not all 71 needed to be present. In fact, they had determined themselves that just a minimum of 23 were needed for a trial to occur. The person under the sentence of death, they said, was to be informed that they were liable to be put to death and if found guilty, what kind of death they would suffer. Failing to let this person know meant the 
case could not be heard and the person would not be executed. If the minimum of 23 attended the trial, they also said 11 votes were needed, sufficient for an acquittal, and 13 as a minimum number required for a conviction. Just as you may know, in a trial, two witnesses need to be brought before the court and to make sure that their description of what occurred was the same in every detail. Now, scripture doesn't tell us how many members of the Sanhedrin were there in that late night trial in the court of Caiaphas, but we know two were missing, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. The religious leaders, it seems to be, from what we can gain from scripture, they wanted this trial over quickly. And so they sought out false witnesses now, this too was illegal. The defence was to have the first word before the prosecution could present their accusations. And this shows to us, right, that the Sanhedrin weren't organised in what they were doing. This had hastily been put together. They hadn't expected the trial to take place, especially not this late at night. Mark 14, 55 says that the whole council sought to brought, uh, bring a charge against Jesus. Well, this too was illegal. All could argue in favour of an acquittal, but not all could argue in favour of a conviction. One by one, the religious leaders presented false witnesses to this trial and none was found to be in agreement. Their testimonies disqualified again showing a lack of organisation by the Sanhedrin. But finally, finally, here are two. Two are able to come forward and seems to be as if they were in agreement. They presented their, their cases before the court. But in, in front of the court, they too were found to disagree. One said that Jesus had said these words, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands and in three days I will build another that is not built with hands. But then the other witness came and he said, Jesus said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. So which was it? Did Jesus say, I will destroy the temple? Or did he say, I am able to do it, destroy the temple? See, the first statement is a statement of intention. I will, I will do this. The second statement is, is a statement of having the ability to do it. Well, because of the discrepancy in these two statements, Jesus should have been released there and then. That the Sanhedrin did not release Jesus shows, again, the illegality of this trial. They themselves had declared that when a trial takes place, the witnesses must agree in every detail. Jesus could not be charged with bringing disrespect on the temple. Under the Roman law at the time, the Sanhedrin lacked the authority to put anyone to death except for one reason. If that person had shown disrespect to the temple, 
If this could be shown, then the Sanhedrin had the authority to execute the perpetrator. However, the two witnesses must agree in every detail. You can sense the frustration in Caiaphas. It's late in the night. He probably doesn't want to be there and he wants to get this thing over and done with. So he stood up and he commanded Jesus to speak. Of the two charges, Jesus, which one is right? The intent to destroy the temple or the ability to destroy the temple? Now, this too was illegal. The accused was not allowed to testify against himself. Jesus said nothing. Legally, he was, not, he was obliged not to do so. Well, this isn't making Caiaphas feel any better. He becomes even more frustrated. So he put Jesus under oath. I put you under oath. Before the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Caiaphas obviously knew that Jesus had claimed to be the Son of God and he knew that the Messiah was supposed to be the Son of God. Mark tells us in Mark 14, 61, he asked Jesus, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? And the name blessed there is another term for God being placed under a civil oath in a civil court, the person must answer. And Jesus does. In Mark 14, 62, he says, I am. He's saying, I am the Messiah, the Son of God. And there would come a day when Caiaphas himself would know this. For from now on you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Power was another term for God. And Jesus was saying that when he returns, even those in hell will see him coming on the clouds. Well, this enraged Caiaphas so much so that he tore his clothes. He was forbidden to do this. They themselves had said, you can only tear your clothes if blasphemy has been uttered. He was even forbidden from tearing his clothes in grief when his wife died. That shows how strict the law was in the tearing of the clothes. This was an act of violence. He believed he'd heard that God had been cursed. But Jesus hadn't blasphemed God. So what the high priest did was illegal. The really shocking part in this trial is, is not what he did to himself, but what he did to Jesus. He took the direction, the focus of the rest of the Sanhedrin off, off his own action and onto the words of Jesus. And now he had charged, the chief judge had charged Jesus with blasphemy. Matthew 26, 65. He has blasphemed. That was illegal. 
Judges weren't allowed to initiate charges, only investigate them. And the accusation of blasphemy was only valid if the name of God had been pronounced. But remember, Jesus had never done that. All he'd said was, I am. Caiaphas went further. 2666, why do we still need witnesses? You've now heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? This was illegal. The testimony of the two witnesses hurriedly brought in were not in agreement and a person was not allowed to be convicted on the basis of his words alone. Those present pronounced Jesus guilty. This was illegal. A guilty verdict was not to be pronounced at night, only during the day. They themselves, the Sanhedrin had declared, Blasphemy was a capital offence. Their own laws stated, in the case of capital punishment, the trial and guilty verdict were not to occur on the same day. There must be at least 24 hours separating the trial and the punishment. That is why cases were not to be heard on the eve of the Sabbath or on the eve of a festival. The vote for the death penalty was done counted individually, and they themselves had declared was to be done by age. The youngest was to cast his vote first, going up to the eldest, so that the youngest couldn't be swayed at all by the votes of the elders. This didn't occur. The religious leaders quickly condemned Jesus for breaking one of their laws. Mark 14.64 says... They all condemned him to death. A unanimous decision. They'd broken their own laws again. A unanimous decision for guilt had in fact shown innocence. They themselves had declared it was impossible for at least 23 of 71 men all to agree unless they had schemed and plotted together. It was illegal to announce this death penalty on the same day as the trial. Some present punched Jesus in the face. Others slapped him in the face with an open hand. Others spat in his face saying, prophesy to us, you are the Messiah. Who is it that struck you? To hit someone with a fist was punishable by a fine of four denarii. That's four days' work. To slap someone in the face with an open hand was punishable by a fine of 200 denarii, 200 days' work. To spit in someone's face was punishable with a fine of 400 denarii, more than a year's worth of work. Yet it seems as if none were charged. Where is the justice? The second character to offer Jesus no support in this passage, of course, is Peter. And it's during this stage in the trial that Peter denied Jesus three times. 
The other disciples had gone their separate ways, but Peter and John had followed Jesus to see what might occur. John was a close friend of the families of the high priest. He knew the name of the servant of the high priest. Peter had cut his ear off, remember, and John knew who that was. The relationship of John with the families of the high priests mean that he could gain access into the courtyard of the high priest where the trial was being conducted and that Peter could accompany him. John 18, 16 tells us that John was in the courtyard. Peter was standing outside the door. And so John went to the woman who was at the door and asked her to open it so that Peter might come in. Now, the high priest, he must have been a wealthy guy. You think he's got at least 23 of the Sanhedrin present in his courtyard, as well as soldiers, as well as other officials, as well now as two of the disciples. And on three occasions, Peter denied Jesus. Three times he denied it, on each time adding another layer of intensity. There was a group in the courtyard with Peter and John. It was a cold night. They were warming themselves around the fire. The first was from a maid who said to Peter while he was in the courtyard, you, you also were with the Galilean. And Peter denied this. No, he, he wasn't a disciple of Jesus. A rooster crowed, it was midnight. And another maid came up to him while sitting in the porch and accused him of being with Jesus. And Peter denied this also, this time with an oath. He was not with Jesus. No, he wasn't one of his disciples. Luke twenty-two fifty-nine says, an hour passed. And this time a few people accused Peter of being a disciple of Jesus. He was a Galilean. His accent was a giveaway. Peter denied Jesus a third time, even with more intensity. In fact, Scripture tells us in Luke 22 that he cursed and he swore. That verb in Luke 22 needs a subject to which, to which he would curse and swear, an object, sorry. And some scholars say he swore and he cursed at Jesus. The cock crowed a second time. It was now three o'clock in the morning. At this point, the door to the home of Caiaphas was either open or opened. And just for a moment, Jesus looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the words, before the cock crowed twice, Peter, you will deny me three times. He left weeping with repentance. It's always interested me, people who know about the Christian faith, of why they turn away from it. Why don't they put their trust in Jesus? And the people that I've asked I would say in a majority, there seems to be a, a bit of a common theme. The photographer that I go with when I travel overseas, 
he told me one day, he knows that I'm a Baptist minister, told me one day that he'd grown up in Sunday school, his family had gone to church all of his young life. But then there was a point when they stopped going. And I asked him, I said, why? Why did you stop going to church? He said, well, my brother died. and My family never went back to church from then on. David Attenborough, he says himself, he says, I don't believe in a loving God. He says in Africa, as a 10-year-old boy, has a worm in his eye and that worm is eating away at his eye and one day this young boy is going to be blind. How can there be a loving God when that occurs? Of course, that's another whole story, isn't it? The suffering and how God loves even in all of that. But the opposite also occurs, and, and you'd know people like this, people who go through really difficult, really challenging and hard times, and their faith doesn't become weaker, it becomes stronger in God. It's like they're holding on even more. Two weeks ago, I went down to Barrel to teach the students down there, and I met up with my former property manager, who's now in India. He left this week. He left this week to go to India for 30 days. He's been, this is his 30th trip. He goes twice a year, goes over there. He does ministry in orphanages. He makes more connections, gets preaching opportunities. And he told me this great story. And he calls the man the guru, the guru. He says, there's this man in India that I've been able to get in contact with who really wants me to meet me. And Phil said, this guru had 3,000 followers, 3,000 people who would meet with this man every week, listen to him teach and give him money. And the guru became a Christian about 12 months ago and lost all of his followers and lost all of his money. And he's now had to, have to move out of the big house that he lived in, and he's now living in poverty, he and his wife. And he's preaching Jesus, Jesus. And then Phil told me this, the guru is best friends with the Prime Minister of India. And the guru is meeting up with the Prime Minister of India either next week or the week following, hoping to share Jesus with him. Some people, when they go through the difficult times of life, they don't deny Jesus. Their faith becomes stronger in him. Let us be counted among them. Let's pray together. Lord, I feel like we're standing as bystanders. We read this passage and we kind of look into it as best we can, but we're only looking from the outside. But from what we do know, Lord, what does resonate in our hearts? What the truth is that we do hold firm to, that we do believe, is that your suffering and that your death was all born out of love for us. When it all boils down to it, 
all that you endured and the things that we will reflect over during this week and this weekend is all because of your great love for us, the joy set before you that we might become your children. Oh Lord, I pray, may there be opportunities, especially at this time. Like I did with the Nepali Hindu guys I shared on Monday night. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again for you. May we, Lord, be not ashamed, ever ashamed, to say the name Jesus. Oh, Lord, you're so good. We praise you, Lord, in his name. Amen. God has given us a song. We can respond wonderful grace, the wonderful love of our Saviour. Let's stand together.
Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.